Today on BASIC, the second part of our conversation with John Stewart. Do you remember in the old days, placement on the cable dial was everything. It was everything. It was all about proximity and location. And I think the lesson of our era was, it doesn't matter where you are. If it's good, people will find it. Where I was on the dial so was of no consequence to me. Or the the size of the platform. People would say, don't you want to go to a network where your platform is bigger? And and I just always thought, no, I want to be in a place where they, they want, they'll let me make what I want to make. Because I really wanted satisfaction more than I wanted attention, if that makes sense. Hey, everyone, and welcome to BASIC, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and we have even more Moments of Zen for you. And I'm Jen Cheney, a TV critic for Vulture and New York Magazine, and I always get my produce from Produce Pete. That's a great uh, Daily Show reference, Jen. We're back today with part two of our conversation with John Stewart. You know, in part one, we talked a lot about how John got into television, uh, his his years at MTV, and then, of course, sort of the rocky road of starting The Daily Show uh, under Jon Stewart. And uh, I think we're going to go more into the meat of The Daily Show in this episode, right, Doug? Yeah, look, I, th- I think, uh, and hopefully you heard uh, part one if you're listening, but, uh, you know, it's not as easy as it looks, and it wasn't as smooth a transition as maybe history uh, would say it was. John goes into some detail about, you know, trying to figure out The Daily Show when he first got there. But we're going to pick up the conversation today with, uh, you know, sort of those moments when it all started to come together for The Daily Show. So enjoy the second half of our conversation with John Stewart, and Doug and I will be back at the end with our usual wrap-up, which I'm sure will be very zen-like. So you 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 really gutted it out there for in the early days, but pretty quickly, like around the time around two thousand, right? Things started to fall into place and sort of click a little bit, or or so it seemed. Uh, watching watching from the outside, as I was at that point, watching from Fox. Did you have other? <laughs> were you allowed to watch other shows there? Maybe even unemployed, John. But who? <laughs> oh, he just had binoculars and he was trying to see into the into the building somehow. Well, there was two. You know, it was. So to get to where we wanted to go, the the first was to kind of straighten out the point of view, right? And the second was to straighten out the process. The point of view was, you know, so there were a couple of moments in in that sort of journey that that stuck out. One was, I think it was the it was the 40th anniversary of Barbie, you know, because back then you weren't able to pick and choose what you wanted to cover. What you covered was we had one feed. It was the AP feed and we subscribed to it. Mm. So you could talk, you could do a couple of jokes on some topical shit that you got from the network news. And then you'd have to go with like whatever package they would send out to everybody on the AP feed. So it'd be like the 40th anniversary of Barbie or the celebration of the black Nazarene in the Philippines. Like that's the shit that you were dealing with. (laughs) So the idea was to try and get the show to be a little less kind of eccentric and a little more to like the shit we really cared about foundationally with the press and with the government and all these other kinds. And so we were doing the 40th, 40th anniversary of Barbie and half the jokes were about the terrible message it sends to young women about their bodies with Barbie as the avatar for femininity. 
And the other half of the jokes were about how ugly the spokeswoman was in the commercial about Barbie. And it was one of those where you're like, I think we're going to have to pick which point of view we want to go here. And we, you can't just like, you can't napalm the room. We want to be more directional. So it was the idea of, of developing point of view. And the second was the joke pick every day used to be, it was like each writer and there were probably about 10 writers would write like 10 to 12 pages of jokes. And the joke pick was we'd sit in a room and each writer would read the jokes that they read out loud. And it would take about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And what it, it did two things. One took up the entire day. <laughs> <laughs> and the second thing was it invested them with an ownership over the material that wasn't conducive to like what we wanted, which was you want everybody in that building to be invested, but to understand that like, if the show's good, we all win. But if everybody is clinging to their own particular turf with ownership, like the amount of energy it takes to move somebody who has ownership over a joke off of that joke, because it doesn't serve the greater narrative or other things that you want to do. That's energy you can't use making other shit better because the energy of the day is finite. Right. So the change there was, I, I said, you know, I can read. I learned it second or third grade. So if we just put the jokes on the desk and I'll just read through them, that'll take 10 minutes. And then we can pick the good ones. And then we can spend the rest of that time making those jokes better, fit into a thing, create a more essayistic approach, you know, We'd have all this time freed up for creative momentum as opposed to spending our day fighting about, but that joke's funny. I understand it's funny, but you can't make fun of the spokesperson's looks while your point of view is about empowering women. Like that's just not fucking sane. Right. It was, right. It, like that was, but that, that was the day. So it was like, mm -hmm. it was, it was, it was wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, another thing that started to happen when you took over, just the amount of talent that came on, on board as correspondents and in other roles, right. like it really kind of, I mean, it kind of created the talent pool for what late night ultimately ended up looking like. Well, they'd always, they'd always been great with talent. I mean, the other thing is the writing staff was incredibly talented. Like it was mm -hmm. always a great lore for talent. And Madeline and Liz had a great eye for Col Colbert was there when you got Colbert there. was there when I got there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They had a great eye for talent of writers and correspondents and all those other people. And mm -hmm. we tried to keep that going and give them agency. You know, as I said to Stephen when he first started, which was, you, you, you know, we'd write a bit and I'd be like, what do you think? And he'd be like, what do you mean? What do I think? And I go, what's your opinion about, you know, whether or not you, th do you think this, uh, issue is important. Do you think it right? You know, what do you think of it? And like, I, I remember the first time I asked him, he was like, you really want to know? I was like, yeah, because that's how we're going to write this. And so it was just harnessing all those talents. Honestly, it was just, it was just getting everybody pulling in the same direction. That mm. was the only, that was, it was such a like great opportunity. And it was just an opportunity to maybe get everybody pulling in that direction because you had so much talent around you. That was the nice part. I mean, at what point did you start to realize 
you know, people were taking the show like seriously from a political information standpoint. Like, obviously it was a comedy show, but they were kind of, it was starting to be seen as like, oh, this is like where I get my news. And like people in DC started to take it seriously. Like when did the light bulb about all of that go off for you? I don't know if I knew exactly. I mean, there was that always that moment where Steve Carell was on the bus with John McCain, you know, and, right. and he did it. I think it, those moments always pointed to the kind of the high and low of it. You know, we, we got access, but ultimately we had to pull the joke. Do you know what I mean? Like when Steve Carell was sitting on the bus with McCain and he was asking him the silly questions because we were the funny, this was in 2000, I think, and we were the, mm-hmm. the funny group that entertains them. I think he asked John McCain, he, you know, he was saying like, favorite movie, favorite wine, favorite thing. And then he said, uh, you have famously said that you're against uh, pork barrel politics. And yet uh, you took a uh, amount of money from lobbyists that allowed them to add in any really nailed him mm-hmm. on the hypocrisy and absurdity of one of his core positions. And uh, right after he said it, he goes, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know what any of that means, but you could see it on John <laughs> McCain's face where he was like, I think I might've just gotten like shivved. And then when <laughs> Steve broke the tension, it was hilarious, but it also went back to that whole thing of like, we always, we still had to stay in our lane mm-hmm. to that extent. When you were the only fake news. That's right. We were the only, we were the only <laughs> fake news. It's amazing. Like fake news is, you know, means something else entirely in 2022. No, I know. Um, you know, cancel culture is, you know, it's, it's, it's really amazing to see, see how things flipped all, although you were pretty prescient in your now infamous appearance on uh, Crossfire or not, uh, was that, it was Crossfire with Tucker Carlson? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Paul Begala. Yeah. Yeah, and looking at you know where cable news was going, right, right, right. What what do you think about cable news today? I mean, uh, well, clearly, I think we fixed it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's gotten much better since That's then. That's right. <laughs> it's it's it, by the way, it's the only it's the only thing keeping basic cable afloat at this point. Yeah, uh, well, that and sports. Sports definitely. Yeah, sports. Although definitely. I have a feeling that streaming, it's all going to come back to cable. Is such a smart idea. And the idea of bundling things into packages, and all, it's, it's, it's just so intuitive that streaming will ultimately, in the way that streaming sort of was going to blow up the basic cable model, as streaming, you know, gets weighed down by their own fees and everything else, it's all going to come back to, and it'll just be an enhanced basic cable model. And and it's it's all going to ultimately come back to that. I, I don't I don't disagree. I think these companies have gotten you know these streamers have gotten so big you know like the networks were back in their heyday, right? And that's what that's what brought us cable, something more specific, something more targeted. Um, and so it, somehow I think we get we, we yeah uh, we do get we do get back. There. I mean, once you start carrying twelve streaming channel fees at a certain point, you're still paying for. And even if you cut the cord, you're like, well, I mean, and so somehow in all the consolidation and everything, it's going to end up being, you're going to get your streamer and a basic cable package. And that's how it's going to. I was foolishly, as it turned out, worried that when you were leaving the daily show, uh, pre-Trump, right. Um, it felt to me like the end, not only of, of an era for the daily show, but an era for cable news. I thought it was on its way out. I thought nobody was watching it anymore. Everybody was really old. Um, <laughs> and, that, we know that, and, that, and that Trevor was going to have to find another news source to kind of 
you know, you know, make fun of in the post John Stewart era. And then, of course, Trump came along and literally reinvented cable television. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I never worried about it because what we do is kind of as old as time. The only thing that right. changes is the delivery system. And so it really, ne- you know, we kind of came in the more standard era of you have your cable stations and those are, you know, and your, your, you had your network news and your cable. And those were the two methods of consumption. And we existed side by side with cable basic cable we were considered mm-hmm. peers it was the era of do you remember in the old days placement on the cable dial was everything it was a big deal it was yeah. everything if you went yeah, you up had to, to be like in the top 30 if, you know nobody could find you we fought for that all the time if you got up in the nosebleeds it was over it was all about proximity and and location and i think the lesson of our era was it doesn't matter where you are if it's good, people will find it. And it doesn't matter if you're beachfront or if you're up in the mountains or if you've got a, you know, a lake out or if you're down in Appalachia, like if people are interested in it, they will find their way to it. Right. And, and that was, that was kind of, yeah, that was a big idea for you in general, because I always admired how you felt that even though you're on comedy central on this little dinky cable channel there wasn't anything you couldn't do or couldn't achieve and you didn't have to be you know on channel two or Mm -hmm. cbs or and you could host the oscars and be on the cover of time magazine and win endless emmy awards and and produce the show you wanted to do from wherever you know from wherever you chose because that i think the thing you just said is is everything produce the show you want to do where i was on the dial so was of no consequence to me or the the size of the platform people would say don't you want to go to a network where your platform is bigger and and i just always thought no i want to be in a place where they they want they'll let me make what i want to make because i really Mm -hmm. wanted satisfaction more than i wanted attention if that makes sense Mm -hmm. sense. you know you spend so much time and you work so hard with all these people and the process is so fun, but you want to, you want to walk out after every show and go, we executed our intentions to their highest aspiration. We, we did the best we could with what we were. And, and, and that's what we were always just focused on. It was always just making something we cared about as well as we could, and then trying to fix what went wrong if we thought so that the next day it would be even better. And everybody was so bought into that and it made the place such a incredible hive of creativity and excitement in the building. Nothing was better than the feeling in the building. It was outside the building that nonsense like crossfire and all that other shit happened. But right. in the building, that that's where it was. That's what I love. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. After you left, was there even like a millisecond where you were like, mm, I wish I could go back? <laughs> no, I, 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 <laughs> I mean, you, you do that for such a long time and we'd evolved it from, you know, if you think about Doug, when in 1999, you know, we were still editing in the online room, like you're still editing in the control room. Like if you, if you fuck up a reel, you got to start again. Like there's no avid, there's no you know, we didn't have a TiVo where you could start to build montages from all these various sources. You know, if you think about all the changes that occurred, not just informationally, but technologically through those years, the show evolves through that entire process. But then it gets to a point where I don't know what else to do with it. Mm -hmm. And we're covering a very redundant and poisonous news cycle. You know, I could go back to 2000 and 2004 and 2008 and show you all the similarities of the redundancy of hypocrisies and uh, the redundancies of uh, gaslighting and all the various techniques and tools that the government was using to, you know, exercise their and the changes that we made in staffing and the changes that we made in, in all those different areas to become more nimble and diversified and stronger and layered and focused and have stronger point of view. But I think I had reached the peak of my ability to do that. I just didn't know. I couldn't, I couldn't think of a way to make it better. 
Mm-hmm. And when you work with people that you respect so much and that you know are pouring everything into it, you can't draw, you, you know, I, you can't walk them down a blind alley and then go, this is where we're going to live for the next five years. Right. You just got to go, I'm not going to stay here just because I can. I think you're, you're going to have a better shot with the next iteration if I'm not here. And, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. Right. But that was, you know, it, I, I think it just had to be done. I just didn't know, you know, you know, when you're, you're a, a prisoner inside your own brain and, and there's only so many permutations that you can, that you can achieve. And so with, with that. I was just going to say, not a lot of people would have the self-awareness and humility though, to realize that well, because it's a great gig. You know, Ken, and- you're right. you know i i hadn't looked at it that way but now that you now that you've spun it so positively i can't help but agree with you (laughs) most people would most people would stay for the check as long as the camera the red light goes on yeah but you know know, i'd like we know john yeah we know because also like the check had been so good like i'd already made way more money in my life than i ever had a right to and would have dreamed of and uh my family was you know my kids were getting to be seven and like you know, I, I think there are some times where you just got to go like, wow. Yeah, I, got, I, I did it. I did it. And and yeah. let me let me take the blessings and put it in a, a, a wonderful frame and head on back to discover what the next adventures are, because it, it didn't mean the end. It just meant right. the end right. of that one thing. As it turned out, your timing was great, John. You, you know what a what a what a rough couple of years it's been for the world. Um, no, really, it just you know. I mean, that that, that might have, that might have driven you to quit. Now, most people, I think, a lot of you know, a lot of the industry, your your fans, your viewers. I don't, I don't think anybody really thought you were going home after you left. Um, I knew a little better because you know you and I had had a lot of discussions along the way, mm-hmm. and of course you did go home. I uh, visited you once a couple of years ago down there on the farm. John knows the names of all the pigs. It's stunning. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but now you're back with, um, the problem with John Stewart just finished season two. Congratulations. Thank you. So what, what was it that inspired you to get, you know, back to a TV show? One, I didn't have to make 160 of them a year. So that was a big deal. I think what I, there's a few things, you know, one was I, I got to scratch some stand up itches. I got to scratch a film itch. I got to do some other things. I love to work. I love to make things with people that I think are really talented and funny and nice. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to like have that environment. And I love it. And I think, you know, the daily show felt for me ultimately very insulated. I began to feel like I was just in kind of a, you know, a beautiful glass case and we sat in there screaming and never realized like, oh, you can get out of this and actually get your hands dirty in the world. And that that also can be fulfilling and cathartic and, and you can touch the things that you're impotently raging about well you definitely clearly did that with your support of the 9-11 first responders and all your great work there well so that was the impetus of this you know what is 
it was it was a recognition that oh there are millions of people every day in the trenches fighting for even the most incremental change or or you know turf that can get them closer to the world they'd rather be living in and what i can sometimes provide for them is some basic like air support because they're fighting and toiling kind of anonymously underground and so the idea of this is to try and combine a little bit of what i learned doing the daily show with a little bit of what i learned being down at dc with a little bit of what i learned hanging out with uh, the folks that are that that whose lives are consumed with the day to day of that kind of activism and and trying to put it together in uh, a, a sort of not just a primer, but to to create kind of a narrative arc to sort of set the stage with a little bit of the comedy to hear from the stakeholders and then to go to somebody who has some agency within that world. Right. Like an arc. Right. Mm -hmm. And then to create some kind of support mechanism behind that so that it doesn't right. die in its presentation. Right. That that's not mm -hmm. the end. Right. And so that that was the impetus to try and blend vocation with inspiration, with what I love, with people that I admire and, and see if there was something to create in in that. Mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. Feels yeah, it makes a lot and feels like you got a long way towards getting there. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> as you know, sometimes some uh, some shows some shows more than others, but but yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. They can't all be diamonds. That that's what I'm talking about, baby. Yeah. Are you are, most importantly, are you having fun? Oh my god. At, is for, it fun again? Yeah. The the staff is fucking ridiculous. Like Good. smart everybody who said, you know, the millennials. I mean, these dudes are the most hardworking, just brilliant, but funny. And then they'll go out and everybody's wearing sequins and just dancing the night. Like they're just a lovely group of people. And I, in my usual fashion, really enjoy standing in a corner, Inside. watching them with my hands <laughs> in my pockets. <laughs> I, I love it. It's like, it's like Batman and the Teen Titans. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as you know, Doug, I am not I am not one for participation. Yeah. Even when I tell you about the punk clubs, well, like all, all, I say all those MTV parties we've heard about, Jen, John, yeah. he might have been there. I was there. But he wasn't he wasn't having a great time. No. I was I was <laughs> I would stand in the back and I would just be like, wow. Uh Kenny, uh Kenny over, he can really he can, <laughs> he can really put he, he can, can put him back. He can put him back. He can he can take care of things. <laughs> he can he can dance around. Oh look at that! Yeah. Judy McGrath just broke her arm on the dance floor. That's, Always, yeah. That's yeah. fucking. Did she really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slipped on, literally slipped, broke her. She would, yeah, broke broke an ankle one time too. It's yeah. We crazy. we were on like a, I don't know if it was like an indoor speed skating rink. Like it was, <laughs> we were at this fucking. It's like it's a nightclub, but it's also a rollerblading race course. Yeah, <laughs> people are dancing and then going over like moguls like it was the fucking weirdest it was the weirdest time we had a good we had a good time we had a very good time but but i'm not one for good times you, no not your thing i enjoy thing. i enjoy the observation no I, I was just curious um as far as the problem with john stewart like do you know if there's going to be a season three what's what's the status of that never know 
you know. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but Apple, they have other products besides content. Do they? Yeah, they have a whole other line. I'm not, I'm not privy to what's going on with it, but apparently uh, they have something where you can put everything you've ever listened to into your pocket. I, oh, my God. You should get them to do that. You should get them to do that U2 thing. Like, remember when they put U2 on every iPod? Oh, they should put your show on right. every phone they sell. Because nothing made U2 more popular and beloved. That worked out well. <laughs> it was the best decision Bono ever made. Than to show up in everybody's <laughs> pocket. They were all like, I don't like U2. What about you? Yeah. Uh, I, I hope that we 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 do more. I like I like doing them. So. And, and I think I think it's good. So that that also like, it is good. The people seem to like it. Yeah, if it were, if I felt like it was shitty, I probably wouldn't want to do it. Well, that's that's. I, I will tell a great John Stewart story about John has a very high bar. And he's never going to do anything shitty. He's just, he's got, uh, he, he, he's, the, the work and the quality of the work is, too, is always paramount. And John's production company once made a pilot for Comedy Central, a scripted pilot about minor league yes! baseball. And I can't remember <laughs> the name of it, but it was yes. unwatchably awful. To quote, uh, what is uh, the Chappelle, uh, what was the word he used on SNL when he was describing, um, it is observ- it was observably bad. <laughs> Um, and we all we all we all were we all were um uh, we, we were john of course you know he's uh you know john was john was the gentle uh 10, pound gorilla never really threw his weight around but you know he was you know he was john stewart and uh he had the he had this pilot and we were like oh my god meeting with john, like he's gonna want us to put this fucking thing on the air and we were like oh fuck and uh, we have our little conference call, and John gets on the phone, and God bless him, he goes, uh, I want to apologize. <laughs> and we're like, huh? I, I just want to apologize for that pilot. It's terrible. And we're like, oh, my God, thank God. <laughs> you remember, that? You remember uh, that one? I do remember that one. The only other time I threw him away, you might not remember this. This was the, and it was like one of the worst times in the history of the show. It was, do you remember during the writer's strike? Yeah. We were trying desperate. I was trying desperately to get Comedy Central to do the deal that the Writers Guild wanted. Yes. And so I was making Doug's life <laughs> miserable. <laughs> I was calling him. I was calling who was in charge. I was calling everybody. Uh, it- I'm trying to remember who it was. It might have been still a woman named Joella West, uh, if I can remember correctly. She was at business affairs for a long time. I'm beating the shit out of them. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. Doug, there's fairness here and there's fair. And Doug, to his credit, was always like, John, we're trying. I'm trying to move mountains over at Viacom. You know they don't want to do. They We don't like to pay people at Viacom. We don't like to remember, pay John. people. We don't want to do. And they don't. What, I remember. The, do you remember the big word was precedent? We don't want to set a precedent. And we had gone through this a few years back when the show first wanted to unionize. Comedy Central wasn't union. Cable back then was still, they would would say like, it's not a business model that you can unionize. It's just not a good business model. And you're like, I think it might be the best business model. But so what we did in that situation was Doug finally got Viacom to accept we weren't going to do the whole network but he would allow our show and Colbert's show to form 
like a fake production oh, that's company. that's right, 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 right. It's called a pass-through, I think it was called. We, we already had a fake production company, Hello Doggy. And, and, and we created it as a pass-through. And so the guild, Comedy Central could do a deal with the pass-through and still have plausible deniability that wasn't the whole right. network. And for the guild, they knew that when those dominoes fell, Everything else was coming. It, it was right. just going to be months. And that's what happened. So that's right. we had already done this. Smash cut to the writer's strike. I'm on with them. You, mother, you have to do. They are not asking for anything. Blah, 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 blah. We're trying. We're trying to do the thing. And then it comes out that Letterman's company is going to get the deal. The They've agreed to do it. Do you remember this? Yeah. That. So I immediately get on them and I'm, fuck, we're hammering away. Two weeks later, Doug gets them to do it. He gets them to agree that we can, will accept the Writers Guild deal as is. We're going to get everybody back on the air. We had, this has been like months. Went on for a while. Yeah. People are mm -hmm. fucking like, I got a hundred people like out of work, struggling. You know, we, we pay, like, it's getting ugly. Mm -hmm. Getting ugly. He finally agrees to it. We're going to do it the same way we did it last time. They're going to agree to it. And it's going to go through our pass through. And we're going to get everybody back on the air. I call the writer's guild. I, I'm like beside myself. I go, guys, we did it. We got Comedy Central. Doug and them. They're going to give you exactly what you wanted. Same way we did it a couple of years ago. Just like the Letterman deal. I'll never forget. The guy goes. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and I go, I go, say that again. He goes, yeah, Letterman, they produce the show. You don't produce the show. You're, you're, the company you've created is a shell company. It's not a real production house. And I go, that I created. <laughs> we created it for you. You're the <laughs> ones who suggested it. We did this to do the deal. And never forget, the guy says to me, so I go, so let me get this straight. The company we created was good enough for you to sign a deal with, with Comedy Central to create a unionized show, but not good enough now because it's not a real production company. Is that what you're telling me? And the guy goes, it's a very biblical way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very rabbinical. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever been madder. I, yeah. you know, I do remember, I, 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 you're bringing it all back. I remember your, your yeah, oh. your tune changed in, in regards to the guild. It changed after that. I, um, but, uh, but it was, that went, that strike went on a long time. Yeah. But to Doug's yeah. cut, like, look, we were on opposite sides of the game, but you were always incredibly gracious. You were always incredibly open to ideas. That's what I love about Doug. Like we could have those conversations. We might not agree, but he was always like really opening to listening to creative ideas to solve a problem a way he was not rigid in any way he respected the people that worked for him he honored that like their creativity ask the south park guy same shit like mm -hmm. always really open well, appreciate that. to creative problem solving and the funny part was when we finally got it i thought i was walking back to the guild with like a golden scepter and they were like that's a burger king hat you're like what <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, honestly, Doug, I, it may be the maddest I think I've ever been. 
Well, I can remember one or two times. We'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> That'll be part two. <laughs> but by the way, I will say this about John Stewart. Rarely, rarely, rarely lost his temper. I mean, almost never. Yeah. Um, and when he did, it was it was, it was was always for good reason. I will also say I never, and thank you for uh, being so gracious about uh, my uh, openness, but the truth is, never won an argument with John Stewart. He is one of the world's great <laughs> debaters. Forget about a rabbi. Probably should have been a lawyer. Because he never lost a case. No. But uh, he's that good. Yeah. But, but thank you. Yeah. But we, we had some fun, man, didn't we? We had some good times. Yep. We had some good times. That's for sure. All right, Jen, take all us right. home. All right. Now, segueing into our last question that we ask ah, all of our guests. Okay. All right. What, aside from obviously the wonderful pilot that you wrote and your own you know, other work, what is your favorite basic cable show of all time? Wow. Of all time. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can go back to the '80s. Does anyone have an answer for this? Yeah. Well, most people people's well, no, most people's answer is what's basic cable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's so depressing. I mean, for me, it's it's hard to beat the rapport. It's just hard yeah. to beat. You know, but you were involved in that one, so that's kind uh, of a cheat, isn't it? Yeah, but just watching. Now, John, no, well, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna feed you one because yeah. I do remember going way back when you and Tracy were fans of early fans of the real world the real world look let me tell you something about the real world as like fucked up as we want to talk about in terms of like reality television or you know and it got like once it got to the point where like we're taking the real world season one against you know summer camp season two and we're going to put them (laughs) on a mountain with no food and we're going to give one side pocket knives and the other side will have glocks six weeks nobody knows what's gonna happen like once when it when it started getting hunger gamey that's when shit kind of went off the rails but i can remember watching the real world and thinking in a crazy way this is going to advance race relations and understanding about sexuality and it's this i think is actually going to be a net positive in an enormous way, culturally. And it was the simplest thing, but it was like, oh, none of us know each other. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be incredibly awkward, but what if we got to know each other or at least observe each other in that pursuit? And I have to say, I actually, I, I think it it was a real net positive. Certainly the early years, the first three, four, maybe yeah. five seasons before yeah. it really started going off on the rails of, of, like I say, like before it got into Lord of the flies territory. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, then it became designed purely to provoke or to do that. But in, in those early years, I remember thinking there's been nothing like this. And there's a lot of, because young people are more open to this kind of observation. This is going to be seminal. And and mm-hmm. and I think it, and it was, and I think it, and it was. was. And then on the flip side, uh, they had dating games that could have been called uh, Spring Break Date Rape. So other than that, <laughs> you know, it, I think that was an actual was show. The yin and Yang. It was the Yin and Yang. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, well, you know, MTV had this great. Uh, you know, we we used to try and use our superpowers for good whenever we could, but you couldn't make a business out of that. So you had to, you had to do some of that other stuff. Right. Yeah. That was always my favorite stuff with Doug. Like every now and again, he'd be like, "John, it's a business." You know, <laughs> it's. I used to say to him, "Go, why are we doing this, Doug?" It's a business. 
Yeah, that that was a yeah that that was the famous trigger for you. <laughs> that was always that was always my trigger when Doug used to hit me with that in the conversation. I go, Dang. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's for the next podcast. John Stewart, you are a great gentleman to be here. Jen and my I are pleasure. so thrilled to have you. Yeah, it was really lovely, an honor, lovely seriously. to talk yeah, to you guys. Honor, yeah. And thank you for being so generous with your time. We uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, I hope to see you in 23, John. I miss you, man. I miss you, too. I'm incredibly busy and have lots of <laughs> Matter of fact, I have. Hold on. Hold my calls. So, you know, The Daily Show, as we've talked about, was just such a huge uh, phenomenon, really, on cable television uh, under John's tenure. And what's interesting about it to me, one of the many things uh, is is the degree to which it started to play a real role in politics. You know, he talked about that moment with Steve Carell and John McCain on on McCain's bus back in, what, 2000, I guess it was. But it, it it's amazing that, you know, obviously it's a comedy show, but it became a place that, you know, if you're running for office, you should be on The Daily Show um, because as much as you should be on, like, Meet the Press, like, it became a place that you wanted to talk because that's where a lot of young people would go to get their news, honestly. No, it really it really mattered in that regard. And 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 politicians and policymakers would come on the show to sort of, you know, float ideas and different things that they were working on or or had been working on. And it, and it, it became a real place for conversation and a real place to influence people. The other thing it became, and we didn't talk about this much, but I remember when my book came out talking to a publicist at Simon & Schuster, and I was like, what are the most important places to get your book like highlighted? And she said, NPR and The Daily Show. And under John, like they really did have authors on a lot talking about like, you know, serious intellectual issues. So, you know, it was a comedy for sure, but there was really some thoughtful discourse going on there and and it still has been under Trevor as well. Yeah, it became a big place for authors and 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 the most, you know, sort of wonky kind of subjects, which I think prior to that, you know, nobody was talking about um, on on cable television. That, that was probably, you know, relegated to public television. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and he made it work. You know, we didn't ask him about this. this is a little daily show anecdote. Uh, I got a call from John. And uh, I was trying to read. I, I, the best time to talk to John was always after the show, and so I would I'd usually call him, you know, around seven o'clock, seven thirty. He would still be at the office. And one night he picks up the phone and he goes, uh, "Hey man, you know where I was today?" I go, "Well, you did the show, right?" He said, "Yeah." He goes, "But you know where I was during the day?" I said, "No." He said, uh, "Down at the White House, talking to Barack Obama." <laughs> and you know, he had just been summoned, like. Obama just wanted to meet him and get into his head a little bit and hang out. You know, this was like think during his first term. And so they uh, didn't film this. It was just John going there. Oh no, this was no, this was this was this was Obama just saying, "Hey, man, I'd like to love to meet you and talk to you." Wow. And uh, that's how that's how important and influential and central John was to the conversation. I think um, in those days. That's incredible. Do you know what they talked about? I, you know, he, he told me, this goes back a long time. I remember him telling me nothing, of course, that I, that I can remember, but, uh, but I just, you know, like he was put on a jet and sent down the white house and, you know, spent the morning, you know, in the oval office, talking to the, or or, or right outside the oval office, he said in this other room, um, a little conference room, talking to the president. And then they put him on a jet and sent him back to New York so he could do the show. And, uh, you know, he was John Stewart. Yeah, I mean that. Well, it speaks to, as you said, the significance of the Daily Show and and of John at that time. It also speaks to how savvy Barack Obama was in terms of pop culture. Like he was, he got it better than any president in my lifetime. That's for sure. No offense yeah. to Bill Clinton. And you know, look, we, we you know John's back on TV, and uh, we got to hear a little bit about that. But boy, 
what a, what a legacy for the Daily Show and John Stewart and and what he built there and um, not only the people you know great people in front of the camera the correspondents which you talked about but you know tremendous people behind the camera too great producers and writers and it's quite a team yeah quite, quite a team and quite an operation absolutely. Well, we were we were really pleased to have John. It was uh, he's one of our dream guests. Was on the list for Basic from the day we decided we wanted to do this show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed both parts, and uh, we hope you'll be back next week. So, from uh, me and Jen, thanks. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog, produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.